Revelation, episode 13. Undercover. sitting on the floor of her mum's attic. Outside it sounds like a storm is brewing. It's cold up here and the dust makes her nose itch. This used to be her bedroom a long, long time ago, but over the last 30 years or so, it slowly filled up with stuff as if anything slightly broken in the house had been transported upstairs to await resurrection in the hands of some angelic repairman. There's also a load of things that got shifted here during the clean-up after Mum died. Having survived cancers, having avoided Covid-19, even receiving the vaccine, one morning Mum had simply not woken up. And Mary hadn't seen her for months. Even though the worst of the pandemic was over, there was always some problem, meaning that she'd have to quarantine for days. And if it wasn't that, it was Brexit. Mary had called that day, but only got the answering machine. The next morning she tried again, Then she called the neighbour, who'd found her lying peacefully, a glass of water and a book about serial killers on the bedside table. Mary, Yannicka and Tim had spent the summer here, alternating house clearance with walks in the hills or along the beach. Now Mary's come back to do more sorting. There's a huge pile of books and papers to check before she can move on to the broken furniture. Here are some of Mum's old sketchbooks, full of drawings of trees and landscapes, all in pencil but with intricate notes about colour. Photo albums, which she'll keep to look through with the family. And there's a large old-fashioned scrapbook which she's never seen before. She opens it. What the fuck? It's full of newspaper clippings about, well, about Mary herself. Arrests during a mass trespass at Sellafield. Photos of marches that she's never even seen before. A picture of an awards ceremony. Along with things that Mary had sent. Invitations to film screenings. A review of a documentary. Even things in Dutch and other languages. 
all kept neat and tidy, archived chronologically. Mary doesn't even have an archive like this herself. Bloody hell. Suddenly, she feels proud that her mum felt proud of her, if that makes sense. She'd always thought that mum was a bit scornful of what she did. She always made comments like, Just you be careful. You don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. Or, well, you were only asking for trouble doing that. On the other hand, she thinks, her mum herself had probably been the only anti-nuclear activist in the whole village. Everyone else worked at the power plant. Mum had hung Greenpeace banners up on the front of the house and tipped the press off about goings-on. Mary thought of the two old ladies who lived two doors down at Singing Surf. When she was small, Mary had been afraid of them. They rescued birds, mostly pigeons, and fed them. They had a large coop on the back roof, but most of the birds were just in the garden. Once, in the 90s, their house had been visited by a team of astronauts. At least, that's what Mum had said it looked like. They came back with a big van and took away sacks and sacks of dead birds. Mum had called the local TV and the Independent. The pigeons, according to the authorities, were so radioactive they'd exceeded the limit for nuclear waste. Each pigeon a flying bomb. Anyway, they'd all been gassed and carted off. A tragedy for the two old girls there. But not as tragic as when one of them was gunned down by that crazy taxi driver in 2010. Mary had been sick when she'd seen it on the TV. A body covered with a blanket in front of her mum's house. She hadn't heard the news during the day because she'd been out filming. Luckily, Mum had picked up the phone quickly. It had been one of the old ladies. She went over to ask the driver if everything was okay. He looked lost. Gunned her down and drove off. Some village this is. Will we ever be able to sell the house, she thinks? The housing boom that happened after the Covid peak in 2021, with people escaping the locked down cities, had crashed again. And who wants to live next to a nuclear power station anyway? Still beautiful though, the sea, the views. She shudders to think of the body, lying there just outside the gate. In the office in London, Fatima checks her emails. Her colleague from anti-terrorism got back. The Birmingham lot, the Brummies, are being watched carefully. But nothing apparently has changed in the last weeks. Good to know. Another mail. Classified. This is the one she wanted. The file from the 1980s. It took them long enough. She asked for it before Christmas. It can't be that urgent then. She opens it sees that it's a lot of stuff 
so she prints it out. She's got four screens in front of her, but still, some things you can only really see on paper, she thinks. Collecting her papers from the printer, Darren from the office next door turns up again out of nowhere. Nice enough guy, but he's always angling for a date. She manages to escape, grabs a coffee at the machine, espresso, all the other options taste like shit. And she looks out of the window. It's a really grey day. Dark, except for a bright light that some workers have set up in the street. Looks like they're preparing to cut that big lime tree down. Why? She wonders. That's about the only thing that's nice about this street. Oh well. Back at her desk, she shuffles the papers and starts to read. Some of it is redacted. All the names of the officials are just letters. G, V, M. And the first report seems to be in reply to a request that's missing. 17th of January, 1982. Following on our conversation, I can confirm that Carl David Vaz, bingo, thinks Fatima. That's my CV. Has been on our radar for about a year. Highly intelligent young filmmaker, involved with Marxist Film Cooperative, was filming in Brixton during riots, but to our knowledge, not involved with any violence. No police record. Studying political science at LSE. Interested in politics, but with critical distance. Being involved in politics and culture from a multiracial background like his, he could be very useful to the department. Advise active recruitment, ASAP. Hmm, thinks Fatima. They must have been desperate at that time to have contacts in non-white communities, like no one trusted the police back then. Actually, they still don't. Brixton, maybe he was half Jamaican or something? It's possible. 20th of April, 1982. Relevant excerpts from monthly Intel report. CV travelled to Szczecin, Poland, at the invitation of a film festival, in a van with a group of other filmmakers via West Berlin. Did not appear to make contact with anyone in Berlin. Like, why would he? thinks Fatima. They make him sound like a Cambridge spy. CV left festival early to return on his own by train. Blank, redacted, made contact on train. CV spoke of Poland in confused way. He has started to come round to see our point of view, re-Eastern Bloc. G, redacted, then approached him on Hook Harwich Ferry. CV got drunk at the bar. G put it to him that he could serve his country well. CV looked blankly and confessed that he didn't know what his country was. I don't belong anywhere, he said. G gave him the phone number. They are playing at spies, thinks Fatima. Where's all this going? 7th of August, 1982. Update. CV has not made contact and has not been approached again, but is being followed closely. Before the end of the academic year, he stopped going to classes at the LSE. This is a shame, 
but on the other hand, he has now made a number of associations interesting to our department within local anarchist groups. What department? Fatima is guessing it's something secret, maybe something in between MI5 and the police. He continues to pursue his filmmaking and has started showing his films at The Fridge, Brixton, a club which attracts an interesting crowd. Left-wingers, artists, homosexuals, drug users. CV takes drugs occasionally. He does not appear to be addicted. We are unsure to his sexuality, and we assume that he is unsure himself. He does not appear to be intending to return to higher education, which is a shame in terms of contacts. He's in need of money to support his filmmaking, which might give us some leverage. November 1982. V, redacted, has contacted CV using the front of NV film, offered to support research towards a new documentary film. CV is interested, but professes to be more interested in experimental video. NV film has agreed to lend him a Porterpack video recorder. As we agreed, V encouraged him to apply to an art or film school. V is pushing him to choose Sheffield, as we know that Fanny Pearson from the BMFC has started teaching there. For the last few years, this department is known for its political activism. CV is worried about money. V decided not to make the offer just yet. CV will be entitled to a grant, but obviously extra cash would come in handy. Filmmaking is expensive, and video even more so. April 1983. CV took part in demonstration. At one point, CV was caught up in a group throwing bottles at the police. On our instructions, he was targeted by the POIU. Fatima has to look this up. Public Order Intelligence Unit. And arrested along with the ringleaders, who he does not appear to know. He was detained for the usual time in the usual conditions, then interviewed aggressively by an officer with known BM sympathies. BM? British movement. Oof. Nice tactics, thinks Fatima. He was then rescued by Redacted and V. CV was confused to see her, but she explained that NV Film worked with the department on important projects, was worried about him because he was so talented but he was in a lot of trouble. If he agreed to talk to the department, then we would help him, maybe get him off entirely. CV agreed to meet and was released. May 1983. CV has been offered a place at the art school in Sheffield. M, redacted. Christ, that's someone else. How many people are involved here, thinks Fatima. Came down from Sheffield for the interview. Transcript of interview overleaf. Carl was very nervous at the interview. It wasn't even in a police station, just an anonymous office near Highbury Crown Court. 
It had taken him ages to find it. Two guys, a Londoner in his 50s and a younger Northerner, introduced themselves as George and Mike. I don't get it. I mean, who are you people exactly? Police? asked Carl. You don't need to know that, really. We work for the government. For Thatcher? He almost spat the name out. She could be out of here within a month. It's a democracy, you know that. We, the people who we work for, don't change. We provide, let's say, continuity. Just people behind the scenes who like to keep an eye on what's going on. You could have got badly hurt or even ended up with a criminal record at that demo. We try and protect people like you from things like that. That sounds scary, even fascist. But we're not fascists, Carl. That police officer who interviewed you, he's a fascist. We've been watching him. Someone really fucked up there. He should have never been allowed anywhere near you. But, you know, we're not communists either. You were in the East, in Poland, right? You must have seen what it's like there. How do you know? Ah. But yeah, you're right. It was hard to see. I mean, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. How the the theory and the practice... Don't match up? Exactly. So, we both understand that there's a lot of complex political stuff going on in the world. And sometimes we don't know exactly what's wrong and what's right. The Falklands, for instance. (laughs) For instance, yeah. Exactly. Really, Carl. I'm into your critical attitude. That's exactly what we need in this country, people like you. So you want me to work for you? Is that what all this is about? No, that's not really the idea. Look, you you should go to Sheffield. Congratulations, incidentally. And just, you know, immerse yourself in student life and in your um, filmmaking. All we ask is that you let us know regularly about how things are at the college. We know there's a lot of political discussion going on, and it's important that we know which way the wind's blowing. And of course, if there's anything going down that we should know about. But like what? Now Mike took over. Students going on demos, for instance. Sometimes demos are manipulated by radicals. It's important to know who's there so that we can separate them out. Yeah, but so how would I get info that you can't get? I mean, it's almost 1984. Yeah, right, but it's not like that. We can't look through people's TV sets, you know. We can't even tap people's phones. Don't make me laugh, says Carl. Yeah, we can, of course, but that's only possible when... Well, when there's a question of national security or some big criminal thing going down. Hmm. So what could I tell you? Well... How many people might be going to a demo, in a vehicle, maybe number plates, stuff like that? Anyone interested in extreme politics, violence? Do you have other people doing similar things? Of course, we work with hundreds of people, believe me. Ranging from terrorist organisations right through to whatever. You name it, we've got the whole spectrum of reporting. But you could give us something special. I mean, we don't have much contact with the art world, the film world. And we know it's getting pretty radicalised. But I don't get it. I mean, I get what you're asking, but why would I? I mean, 
What's in it for me? Well, your police file will be, of course, forgotten. It already is, believe me. It's not conditional on this conversation. It's already been decided. And although, while we don't really pay people for information, we can compensate you, you know, for your expenses. Expenses? Well, anything that can help you get information. And of course that includes stuff for your work. You're not going to get rich, but, you know, um, NV film. They're really into what you're doing, and I'm sure that, you know, some funding, it could come your way. You work with film, right? It's expensive. Yeah, but now I'm really into video, these portable recorders. Oh yeah, that's exactly the sort of thing that could be arranged. And of course, transport, if you need to get somewhere. And if you have to go to some meeting, you know, we can agree on maybe ten quid or something for your time. So, how would it work? Well, I'll be your contact. I think the financial things will be arranged through NV film, but you'll report to me. But how? We'll meet once a month or once every two weeks or so in a cafe in Sheffield. One that's maybe slightly too expensive for your student mates, so that you don't have to introduce me to them. It's all very low-key. It's not James Bond stuff, you know. Carl felt slightly disappointed. How about if I've got some really important info? I'll give you two telephone numbers. One is for you to arrange a meeting. You phone and leave a message. Then someone will call you back with a time and a place. And the other is for emergency. Same thing, but the drop will be within the next hour. Drop? Yeah, no meeting, but you just leave a note in a specified place. Now that does sound like James Bond, thought Carl. After reading the transcript, Fatima goes and looks out of the window again. There's a tree-shaped hole in the street. A couple of guys cleaning up around the stump. The roots are still there, though, under the pavement, thinks Fatima. It's a bit like this case. There's as much hidden underground as there is visible. But maybe everyone's like that, the unconscious, like the roots of the tree. Back to work. Fatima decides to find out where CV is now. She Googles and finds Carl Vazes all over the world. From Portugal, of course, it's a Portuguese name, and scattered throughout all their past colonies. Hmm... But maybe he's still an artist, she thinks. Good for him if he is. Carl Vaz, artist, returns more. Carl Vaz's work explores histories of ideological formations, which he addresses with graphic work, audiovisual installations and film. By traversing different structures and systems, the artist creates projects that often feel like Gesamtkunstwerke within which he reworks found footage of architecture, crowds, historical and political events, together with music and scripted texts. 
These form components of a theatrical stage and speak of their place of origin, infused with a variable effective half-life, charged with former ideologies that only slowly over time can cool down. Vaz investigates these properties outside of their usual habitat and aside from their physical reality as communicative mediums that are charged and recharged with meaning and politics. Pardon, she thinks, what does that even mean? It might as well have been written in code. And then she finds carlvaz.com, hiding in plain sight, of course. And she sees images of crowds, political demonstrations. Seems that those early experiences were formative. There's an interview. There's a Tumblr blog, too. Mostly about music. Does anyone still use Tumblr, she thinks? Anyway, this is going to be interesting. First of all, though, she needs another espresso. Mary's out for a walk while she still can. It gets dark so quickly up here in the winter. The wind's died down a bit now, but it's still strong. The tide's out, so she can walk along the beach without getting soaked by the spray. As she approaches the dark headland, she sees there's something wrong. The silhouettes of the houses on the cliff don't look right. Surely there isn't one missing, she thinks. But the erosion is going so fast that then she realises what it is. The trees are gone. In between the houses were some large trees. Chestnuts, she thinks. How they survived up there anyway, God only knows. It's so windy here. And now they're gone. A hole in the horizon. Another fading memory. Who the fuck cuts down such beautiful trees, she thinks. When she gets back to the house, she remembers something. Searches online for a bit, and then messages Gus. Hey Gus, what happened to your tree song? I can't find it. Amy took me to court, didn't they? Bastards, he replies. Had to take it down. Here it is, though, and he's attached a Wii transfer link. You have arrived, says Lady Google. Your destination is on the right. He looks out of the van window, scratches his head, and squints against the light. He checks his map. It must be that one. It's ringed in red. There's damage to the pavement. Trim the branches first and then fell it. A simple job. Gets out of the van and closes the side door. He unpacks his case. A black case is wearing a cap. A black cap. Wearing a jacket, a high-vis jacket. Amy PLC, it says they're making a packet. This could be New York. This could be London. This could be Brazil, but it's just Sheffield. He sees the branches, he sees the leaves, the roots that threaten the neatness of the street. He 
climbs the ladder, he ties the rope, puts the helmet on and starts up the chainsaw. The trees are swaying, the trees are growing, the trees are breathing, the trees are knowing, the trees are waiting, the trees are sprouting, the trees are shaking, the trees are shouting. With the first cut, the tree goes into lockdown. The sap shuts off. The roots send out chemical signals too weak to be even recognized. But the fungi, they pick it up and pass it on. The trees are feeling. The trees are hurting. The trees are gasping. The trees are reeling. The trees are calling. The trees are sighing. The trees are falling. The trees are dying. Under the concrete, deep in the earth, a seed receives the message and knows it's time. Sprouts through the stones, the shoot twists and worms its way through the earth. Breaks the asphalt, snakes around the tree and up towards him. He doesn't see it coming. It curls around his foot, around his ankle, twice like a bracelet. Up his trouser leg between his cheeks, burrowing into his arse. Up his colon and all along his alimentary canal. He feels a bit sick Through his neck and his sinuses Breaking through in between his eyes There's a flash as it crosses his optic nerve The shoot splices, tangling and knotting with neurons as it goes It's in his brain now It's in his brain now It's in his brain now He feels dizzy and he starts to go down the ladder When his head explodes like a bull 